Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Investment News Podcast. I'm Jeff Benjamin, co-hosting with Bruce Kelly. And this episode is sponsored by Schwab Asset Management. We're talking today to Adam Cox, Chief Wealth Management Officer at the First National Bank in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Adam has a as kind of an interesting background. He's uh, he 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 hosts a podcast, Common Sense on the Prairie. It's a good podcast. I highly recommend it. Uh, a lot of cool stories there, and we're going to get into that in a little bit. But uh, we also want to talk about what he's doing there, leading the wealth management, I guess, arm of this bank, uh, which has built up to $7.5 billion. Uh, it's a community bank. It's um, it's not an RIA, but it is a, in the wealth management space, and that's why we're talking to him today. So, hey, Adam, how you doing? Thanks for being here. I'm great, Jeff. Thanks so much for having me. Want to say hi to Bruce? Bruce, how you doing today? I'm terrific, Professor. Okay. <laughs> Everybody is good. So we can get right into it here. Uh, first of all, I want to ask you, Adam, it's uh, April 20th. Uh, what's the weather like in Sioux Falls this time of year? Oh, that's a great question. That's a loaded question. Uh, <laughs> it snowed today. Uh, it was 85 degrees a few days ago, and it snowed today. So that's spring in South Dakota. Okay, that's that's what I needed to know. Um, just just checking in on that. I'm in North Carolina and it's not snowing. Yeah, um, I bet. Tell us about this. I don't know what do you call it, an asset management arm, a wealth management. What what is it? You're operating inside a bank, so it's not an RIA. But you know, we're we're not unfamiliar with you know financial advisory platforms inside banks. But we want to hear about about your operation. How long have you been there? Yeah, so I've been at the bank just over seven years, uh, and I came from a bank background. So I've, I've been on the wealth management side of banks before, but I also spent some time on an RAA. So when I came to the bank seven years ago, we were a really, really successful, say, community bank trust department. And um, South Dakota has some really uh, advantageous laws for, for trusts, and so we got a lot of that work. Um, but when, uh, when I arrived, um, just thinking about what the future looked like for this business, I thought uh, trying to find a way to combine the best of both worlds. So the RA world that I think a lot of your audience is familiar with, you know, a lot on the fiduciary side of the business, a lot of time on financial planning and investment management. And so what we've done here is we've taken a lot of our background with trust administration and expertise there. And then we've layered on things that your audience would be more familiar with, whether it's tax planning, retirement planning, and heavier investment management. And you said you said you've been there seven years? Yes, that's right. Did you build this up from a, a fledgling operation or was it pretty much intact when you got there? Uh, yeah, that's a great question. Uh, it was a really successful operation when I got here. And my predecessor had been in my chair for about 26 years before he retired. And I got to spend eight months with him, learned a ton. And one thing he and I both agreed on was the business had to change. Uh, I think your audience uh, and you all are familiar with the fact that RAAs are, are a growth story. And banks have really struggled to maintain and grow assets on the investment and asset management side of the business. So for us to remain competitive, to um, hire great people, to do the things we wanted to do, we knew, we knew we had to transform ourselves into even more of a growth story. And to do that, we had to solve more universal needs. There's only so many people in the world who need sophisticated trust planning. 
there's a whole lot more people who need to figure out if they can retire or they can build a bigger home um, or they can send their kids to college. So what we've really set out to do is solve those more universal needs, which broadens the pool of people that we have to work with. And in turn, that has led us to start some new divisions, to start some new you know, products and services, and has really transformed us and, um, and really amplified our growth. But you are, so you are in effect now competing with RIAs, right? Yeah, that's correct. How, how are you growing? Are you bringing on advisors that, I don't know if they can bring a book of business to you. Do, are people looking to, to join the bank because you're, I mean, seven and a half billion, that's, that's gotta be getting some people's attention, right? Yeah, yes. Yeah, it's, um, we, we are strictly growing organically. Mm-hmm. In this industry, you know, I think there's a lot of hand-wringing over how to grow your firm, and, and rightfully so. There's just a lot of competition out there from other RAAs, from banks, insurance companies, broker-dealers, uh, wirehouses, you name it. So for, for us, we do compete with RAAs, um, but we also compete with the wirehouses. Sioux Falls is an interesting community. It is really, really heavily banked. As you know, I look out my window in Sioux Falls, there's 100 trust companies, there's 40 plus banks, there's the big wirehouses, there's insurance companies, and there's RIA. So we're competing against everybody. And um, in order for us to do that, you know, it is harder for a bank, I would say, to bring on a new advisor and bring a book with them because a lot of times advisors have insurance products, things like that, that we don't offer in house. And so that can be tough for us to grow that way. We don't really maybe have the appetite or the budget to grow through M&A. And so our only choice is to really, really focus on organic growth. And we set a target every year that we want to get 10% uh, revenue growth, excluding market performance. So that's a that's a heavy target. But yeah. for the last five years, we've been able to hit that and exceed that, uh, which we feel very, very, very blessed about. But that means we've got to focus on things that other people aren't doing in order to stand out in this really bloody red ocean we're in yeah that's what i want to ask you about was the your marketing strategy and your i mean as i understand it a big part of your growth is expanding wallet share of of existing clients right and you're also very digitally inclined so can you talk to us a little bit about that your kind of your marketing strategy and and how you're are you just getting more clients or are you getting more of their of the existing clients money yeah, I, and I'll back up for for a second. One of the things when I started, our primary growth source or business development um, opportunity was getting new clients from COIs. In, in our world, primarily estate planning attorneys, and that's a limiter to growth. It, it just it just is. And so for us to be able to hit the growth targets we wanted to hit, we knew we we're going to have to attack marketing a little bit differently than we had in the past. And so in order to do that at scale. One of the things that I believe really, really strongly is content creation and giving away your ideas and your advice and how you view the world, in my mind, is the best way to grow through marketing. You can put up billboards. You can you know, put yourself on the side of a bus. You can do all sorts of things, and we, and we certainly do those things. We do a lot of different things from a marketing perspective, but by and large, the things that we focus the most time and effort on are going to be content creation related items. And so we're doing blogs every month and, and those are not, we don't utilize a service for that. Those are, that's information we curate and, and we craft here internally with our team. And then you mentioned the podcast. We, we do a, a podcast every month 
and um, and then we do SEO. We do all the all the things you you would think that we would do, and we have great partners with our bank uh, marketing team. And now I've brought on someone who supports our wealth management marketing efforts directly. And so all those things working together has really transformed what was, um, you know, I'd say traditional bank marketing, and now we're just doing cutting edge fun stuff, which I think everybody likes to work on and has been really successful. Yeah, it, it sounds like you're having a lot of fun. Um, I want to talk to you about the podcast and all that stuff. I want to quickly get Bruce in here too. Bruce, this is a little bit different uh, from the type of people we've had on the, the show, but uh, it's, it's kind of a cool angle Right. Yeah. Uh, uh, hey, Adam. Thanks so much for for taking a couple of minutes and talking to me and Jeff. Um, how are just like basic stuff? You mentioned that the there's advantageous laws for trusts in South Dakota, and I've seen different you know uh, headlines over the years along uh, you know about that. But could you explain? Take a moment or two and just kind of what is advantageous for trusts? in your state and then how is it how is that used by you know wealthy people or or people outside the united states and and the like sure yeah so in short a few decades ago south dakota set themselves on a path to to attract trust assets as a way to grow um you know assets and professionals in our state and carve out a niche in financial services and to be competitive in that space you've got to craft laws that allow for um, you to be attractive. So uh, a great example is um, abolishing the rule against perpetuities. So the trusts that are set up in South Dakota can be in existence for a very, very long period of time. Um, But the one that probably gets the most attention would be our our privacy laws. And, you know, for a really high net worth family, for instance, in another state, maybe they want to set up some trusts in their state Maybe there's a notice requirement that they have to tell someone they set up a trust for their benefit, or if there's a family dispute, those court records become public at some period of time. South Dakota has a different approach to that, and so for families with significant assets, those are the things they're most attracted to. And uh, South Dakota continues to be at really the forefront of that um, that space, and we have tried to remain as competitive as possible. And, and in most years, we're, we're viewed as the, the top destination for for trust assets. Now, you know, for our bank, we certainly have some of that. Um, we don't do much in the way of international trusts. Um, most of our sweet spot are really focused on people that we can form a relationship. Just from a risk management standpoint, that feels better to us, as well as just coming to work. We want to know the people we're working with, and so it's um, much more in our lane to work with people here who are local or people here in the Midwest that we can go drive or fly and see, and and, and that's really the bread and butter for us. But we have a lot of companies in South Dakota that are set up just to take advantage of that trust space and to work with clients all over the the globe. Right. So here's, I I live in New York, for example, so here if I were to create a trust, I'd have to that would be part of a court filing or set a or, or a public a public notice of some kind. You know, I'm not sure about New York, and every state is different, and, right? And they they change every every year too. So okay. trying to keep your arms around everything is, uh, is certainly a challenge. But there, I guess suffice it to say, um, some states are um, are just set up in a way that um, are, it's more advantageous to to have assets located in those states, and um, and and other states are not. Right, and when we think, when I think of banks, because I've been here for at Investment News for a while, and we write about bank brokers and the like, uh, 
Um, mm-hmm. But you're not a registered person. You're not registered with FINRA or the or as a broker or with the SEC as an RIA or anything like that. So how does that how does that all work? Yeah. So when I started, we did have a brokerage arm, um, the bank. My feeling at the time, and I continue to have that feeling, is I wanted to fly one flag as an institution, and for us um, to eliminate confusion and, and just to, for simplicity purposes. I wanted everybody to operate under the fiduciary standard. Right. And so uh, being part of the bank trust world, um, you know, we're overseen by the OCC. So we're all under the fiduciary standard. So we're not um, we're not selling insurance, um, doing any annuities, anything like that. So we have different um, uh, it's a different rule uh, set of rules than um, than others. But everything we do is under the fiduciary standard. But there's no registration or designation requirements um, that, that some other folks um, have. So you and you manage the money in-house? Yes, that's right. But yeah, we've got an investment team right. um, here locally, and um, we manage that money in-house. Huh. Okay. And the title of your podcast, again, is? Common Sense on the Prairie. It makes me think of Little House on the Prairie, of course. That's Yeah, that's, <laughs> that was kind of the inspiration, yep. <laughs> I have not heard it, so I apologize, but I'll have to listen to it. Jeff, what is... You want to talk about that now? With yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I got a I got a quick question for you. I want to ask before we get into the the uh, podcast, Adam. Is what what is it? You said you used to work at an RIA, or maybe you had your own. What is the difference in terms of the the kind of freedom and flexibility you have working inside a bank? Yeah, and did you have a b- bad experience at the RIA too? You know that led you to this. No, to this I belief? I really. No, that's that's a good a horror question. show I, of some sorts. I, n- there was no horror shows, uh, no uh, wailing or gnashing of teeth uh, in my background. So I I really enjoyed the RA uh, experience I had. It it was um, it was eye opening to me and the focus there, um, the the emphasis on planning and investments and and taxes was different from my prior experience at a bank and then a standalone trust company. And so for me it was completely positive and what i took from it is hey this ra space is really meeting clients where where they are today not where they were 10 15 20 years ago and so what can we do to take from that model from that space and apply it to bank and trust company model and also take advantage of the fact that a bank has um, all sorts of other products and services that we can utilize for for our client base and so it's combining the, really the best of the both worlds. So my experience was great, um, and um, and today you know we we have freedoms. We don't have um, you know we don't have the big kind of broker dealers. I hear I hear some horror stories about compliance and what you can what you can and can't say, and getting approval if you want to do a podcast, and you know getting a blog out can take two years. We don't we don't deal with a lot of those <laughs> horror stories. So um, thankfully that allows us. And to those stories are that. accurate. You know, and then, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's yeah. what I've that's what I've learned, and so thankfully we don't have to we don't have to deal with that. <clears throat> Do you think part of that uh, freedom and flexibility that you have is because it's a community bank and not um, Bank of America or not something? Not Citigroup, like that? yeah, yeah, I, I do. I and you know, and I don't. I, I sympathize with those organizations because you have so many people with so many different opinions <laughs> that can be really difficult to, to, to keep your arms around. And so giving people 
unfettered discretion to go out there and create a video about how you feel about the economy right now, that's going to be impossible um, for a big, big organization to do and to not let that get away from you and get you in trouble. So I think some of the, uh, the benefits that we have are the fact that we are smaller and we can control our messaging a little bit more and we don't have to worry about some of that rogue stuff happening. Schwab Asset Management is proud to sponsor the Investment News Podcast. In today's complex world, Schwab Asset Management provides a simple, straightforward approach to investing. As one of the largest and most experienced asset managers, they offer low-cost core ETFs for building the foundation of a diversified portfolio. Their focused lineup, which includes market cap index and strategic beta ETFs, is a reflection of a commitment to deliver exceptional experiences to investors and the financial professionals who serve them. Learn more at schwabassetmanagement.com backslash ETFs. That's schwabassetmanagement.com backslash ETFs. Let's talk about this podcast you're doing. This is I want to uh, tell you that uh, Common Sense on the Prairie won an award last year uh, in the Beyond the Numbers category of a the the FICOM Partners Investment News Podcast Awards. And full disclosure, I was a judge on that during for that competition for the. You also work year at Investment month. News. Right, I, I work at Investment News. That is that is no longer a secret. Thanks a lot, conflicts, Bruce. Let that conflicts out of the bag. everywhere. So, but I just want to tell you, I didn't know Adam before the the judging, so there was no conflict there, and, and I can't even remember how I how I voted on your podcast, but I'm pretty sure I voted for it. So, because I do like it, um, it's a, it's a cool podcast because of the the kind of stuff that you you do, and and. What's interesting to me is that you're using this as a marketing strategy, like like you should, like a lot of RIAs do. But what's cool is I got to imagine, Adam, that a lot of your your clients in the wealth management side of the bank are are local. Um, you know, I could be wrong, but uh, your podcast is 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 kind of universal. I mean, it it, it basically it. I think anybody could relate to it that is that is interested in, you know, common sense. The fact that it's on the prairie is is just a bonus. Um, give us the story on this, this where it came from and how you're doing it and how much fun you're having. Yeah, uh, well, thank you for that. I appreciate the compliment. Um, so it really originated in 2019. I saw a commercial from, uh, I'll, we'll keep them unnamed, but a large financial player. And basically, the crux of the commercial was, you know, it was selling the consumer something that, that I don't, in my opinion, they probably don't need. And I just remember sitting there <laughs> watching that on TV thinking, you know, my God, like these are the voices that are out there. This is the content that is going out in the world. And this is the stuff that most people see. Like there has to be a way for someone like me in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, to at least even a small way cut through some of that and to put good information out in the world without a bunch of bias. And so I hired through the bank, we hired a producer to produce the show, and then I did nothing for a year because I was too afraid to start. <laughs> I think in the back of my head, I knew how much stinking work it was gonna be. And I was like, I don't know if I have room. But then I just thought, you know what? Let's just start, let's try. And I started in January of 2020. The first few episodes were filmed live in my kitchen, and I read the script because I just, I have anxiety about this stuff. I'm an introvert. I thought this is going to stink. No one's going to look my, maybe my mom will listen. 
Introverts often make the best public speakers because they have to overcome so much in order to get in front of a microphone and they overprepare and they overthink and all those things. So And so I, I started doing it and it started to get a little traction. And I think where it really started to get traction was um, I thought, you know, my wife, Diane, and I, we have a really interesting money story where um, she has said her worst money moment was marrying me because she had no debt. And I came out of uh, you know, law school and graduate school with $220,000 in student loan debt. Oh, wow. And, and I, even though that's long paid off, I carry that scar with me today. And it informs <laughs> how I spend, what I don't spend. Um, I just haven't been able to get rid of it. And, and so I thought, you know what, that's interesting. I wonder if other people struggle with stuff like that. So I actually convinced my wife to, to come on an episode with me and we, we shared our story and I got so many good comments about that and people saying, you know what, I also have struggled with that or I struggle with something similar. And I thought, that's it. That's the magic. And so while we certainly have technical, uh, guests on and people have written fantastic books and national experts and, and, and then people from my team who are, who are awesome and we get to showcase what we can do. The episodes I think that have been most impactful for people are hearing how other people have handled money, the things that they've struggled with, the things that they've had success with. And it's just that realness. And, um, and we actually just did our first live podcast recording event last week. Um, and that was fantastic. And, just all of those things, yes, it has absolutely helped grow our business in really, really tangible ways. They, you know, there are people who come in who said, I heard this episode or I've listened to your show. I already know what you're about. Where do I sign? And that's great. That means we don't have to be very good salespeople. So perfect. We've had advisors reach out to say, I like what you're about. I don't know if we can work together today, but at some point, like I'm, I want to be part of what you're doing. And that's, that's awesome. And then the other stuff, just the growth trajectory we're on, there's an obvious impact there, even if people aren't raising their hand when they come in saying, the only reason why I'm here is because of your show. So, and, it, if, and you asked, am I having fun? It's a lot of work. <laughs> but as you know, you have a show. Um, and it just... Oh, it's only once a month, Adam. Come on. Yeah, it's only once a month. But I'm an <laughs> overprepare. You are up here every right? week. You know. Yeah, I'm an overprepare. So, uh, it, you know, and How I... How long have you been doing it now? Uh, just a little over three years. Okay. A little over three years. It's not getting but any easier? It, it is. It is getting easier. But, you know, for me, the thing that keeps me going and the thing that I love the most is just the benefits that it have and, and the people that it's changing the, the conversation about money. And so that will keep me coming back. Did your wife ever get invited back on the show after she uh, dropped that bomb on you? <laughs> she, <laughs> that's a great question. She did. She's been on twice, and she said no more. So <laughs> she, <laughs> she's even more introverted than I am. So, so she's done. Yeah. So she's been trying to get cut after that first episode. So she, <laughs> yes, correct. Okay. Yes, correct. Yeah. <laughs> hey, what do you what do you feel like? Like Bruce and I, we've been we've been co-hosting this podcast for about the same amount of time yeah, as right. you have. The spring um, of 2020, you started. Right. Okay. Yeah. And when we, we, you know, view our audience as the same audience for investment news in general, the, you know, financial intermediaries, the financial services right. industry at large. But um, what do you see as your audience? Who do you, who do you kind of write for and feel like you're talking to when you're doing your podcast? So... You know, we've worked, you mentioned FICOM, we've worked with FICOM and then our internal marketing team. And, and what we've done is we've tried to identify a couple ideal clients. 
And we keep those ideal clients in mind when we do produce our content. And so if it's a young accumulator, for instance, we're going to put out episodes that would appeal to that group. Or if it's someone who's staring down retirement, we're going to put out episodes that appeal to them or their kids or whatever it is. So we try to keep that frame of reference in mind whenever we're doing content. And we never really know what's going to resonate. I think maybe you're like me. The longer I've been doing this, it feels like the less I know about what's going to work. Um, and, and that's certainly the case. But we really try to keep those personas in mind as we're creating content and, and putting it out there. And then just listen. Listen what's getting feedback and then try to hone in on those ideas. Yeah. Now, you said that you also do blogs. Um, do you Do you have a like a team of people that you're working with just for the content side or is this all on Adam Cox? Well, um, so I've got a team that's helping me now. When we started, it was a little bit more on me. And then um, again, I mentioned our, our bank marketing team um, has helped with um, you know cleaning up some of my writing and putting it out there, publishing it and telling me that some of my ideas aren't good and some of them are, are better and, and all those sorts of things. So I've had great support that way. Now, I think because we've seen the, the really tangible results to our business, now we've had several of people on the team raise their hands. And I think we've got six of us, I think, that are creating content now. And so that's a monthly blog or it's a one-off piece when something happens in the world. It's quarterly newsletters and annual letters, things like that. So, and then, but I still handle the, uh, the podcast hosting duties. Okay. Adam, are you originally from Sioux Falls or that area? I am originally from the area. My, my folks were farmers out in the middle of the state, but I, by and large, grew up in Sioux Falls. Okay. Because I'm wondering if, you know, you're the chief wealth management officer. You're, you're obviously doing a bang-up job there. Um, what's the, what's, how come nobody's scooped you up yet, or is that something that's going to happen? <laughs> I don't know about that. I love living in South Dakota. Um, and what I've told my boss and, and others, anyone who will listen, is, you know, the beautiful thing about our institution and the setup we have is I feel like I've got this fantastic laboratory um, to, with which to work. And my personal mission is to change the way wealth management services are delivered. And I really have been blessed with a structure that allows me to do the things that I feel like we need to do in order to make that happen. And, um, and that's not something that a lot of people have. Autonomy is probably the biggest thing that I crave professionally. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and I get that. And, and that means we get the resources we need to, to grow this business in the right way, which is, which is a huge blessing. Yeah, I can relate to that. Um, autonomy is, is worth a lot. Yes, it is. Um, I just have one more thing for you. I don't know if Bruce has anything else, but I wanted to ask you about the, uh, the, what we saw with the banks, the regional banks earlier this year. Just last month, Jeff, not earlier this year. I mean, it's just weeks ago. Right. Last month is technically earlier this year, but yeah, you're right. <laughs> it seems like a long time ago. It does seem why. like a long time, but I, I was just thinking, okay. man, it wasn't months ago. It was just weeks ago. Yeah. You know? Anyway, Silicon Valley Bank, uh, First Republic, and so on. Did you did you guys see any reaction from your clients there, Adam? You know, not as much. Um, it, you know, our organization by and sometimes we've gotten a little flack for it for being more conservative in nature but it's that conservative stance that plays really well in down markets so i think our clients have come to expect that's the way we run this organization and so um you know it was interesting to watch 
everything unfold. It felt like the big regionals, uh, the regional banks were kind of the awkward teenagers uh, in the whole equation, and money moved from them to the big banks. Obviously, we've all seen those stories, but it also moved to community banks like ours because, you know, some of our clients could call the CEO or can call me, the chief wealth management officer, and just have a conversation about that. You can't do that at some other institutions. So there's comfort to that. And so I think you saw money kind of move to two different sides of the, uh, the equation. And, um, and we feel, you know, really good about our community and our bank and uh, our customers feel great about us. And so we have that intimacy that has really, that helps us through hard times. Did you guys do anything different in terms of cash management? Because that was a, a big part of the problem is the, the deposits. It, it was a deposit crisis, not a credit crisis so much. And, and you, we've seen a lot of money move to some of these cash management platforms and stuff, especially across the RIA space. And I'm noticing just through, I guess, advertisements, a lot of these banks that were you know, kind of just saying, hey, we're going to give you, you know, 50 basis points, take it or leave it, are now kind of stepping up and trying to compete with some of these higher uh, yielding savings accounts. Did, did you guys do anything like that? Or, or what is your kind of savings account rate right now? Yeah, you know, we, we have done some of that. And I'd say the entire industry is doing that. Uh, I was commenting to somebody the other day, we were talking about when was the last time you drove down the street and saw CD specials advertised. Yeah, that's been a long time, hmm. and you see a lot of them now. And so I think every bank in every community has had to adjust how they view liquidity and deposits and, and concentration risk. And so you know, some of these times, bankers have to become bankers again. And, um, and I think that's certainly happening. It, it is absolutely happening that people are moving money around um, and, and, and certainly high yield checking accounts and savings accounts, those have been beneficiaries. Um, but I've seen probably more, as you probably have as well, more into money market funds. Um, and, and so I think that will continue to happen and that will, um, but that will shake out some. What is the big unknown, you know, so we've obviously opened up a lot of money market accounts and, and people are excited about what they can earn on cash again. And so what is the great unknown is what happens to that cash when, when rates come down. Does that flood back into checking and savings accounts or does that go into investment accounts and, and, and no longer be in cash or does it get de deployed in business opportunities? I, I, that's the great unknown is a lot of people have money in money market accounts now. What's gonna happen to that money when rates do go down? Yeah, there's a lot to be said for uh, the, the cash yields right now and it, it is a good question, where is it gonna go? And, and I guess in theory, as cycles go, when when the rates are lower, maybe there will be more opportunities and riskier assets. I don't have anything else for you, Adam. I know you probably got to get out there and shovel that driveway. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> Touche, yes. I, yeah, I mean, I feel for you, man. I, I, I moved down here th to North Carolina three years ago from Michigan, so I, I, I'm familiar with snow, but I have not seen it in three years, and I'm very happy about that. God bless you. Um, Bruce Kelly, anything else for Adam? Yeah, Adam, I just had one more uh, kind of add-on here. Um, obviously, you, you know investment news. You, you read investment news, right? Yep. Yep. So we've done countless seemingly stories about 
RIA mergers and acquisitions, mm-hmm. right? What is the, for kind of the, the small to mid-sized bank, because you guys aren't a regional bank, no. right? You're, you're a small to mid-sized bank, right? Yep. yep. What is, with a trust and kind of investment department like yours that's obviously growing and successful, I mean, is there a similar kind of uh, merger mania for businesses like yours? Or, or what's the, because there's so much private money, you know, private equity or venture capital looking to invest all over the place these days. Yeah, it's really, it's really been incredible to watch. Um, and I feel like I'm watching it from the sidelines because none of that is happening in our space. You know, once in a while, you'll see a bank merger or things like that. Why is that? You know, it's a good question. I think, I think the banking business is, is, is difficult. And, um, and it just comes with a lot more regulations um, and, and issues. I mean, it's, a, it's an incredible business, obviously. Um, and it's a business I love being in. But from an outside investor standpoint, I think the idea, if you're looking for scale, it's probably a heck of a lot easier to gobble up some RIAs and to scale that way and to find some, find some efficiencies in those business models because you can do that. Um, the, the bank wealth management area is just not a very um, sexy area for outside investment. Uh, it's just not, and, and frankly, to be honest, you know, a lot of community bank, in particular, wealth management trust departments are unprofitable. And so that's just not a very attractive in, investment opportunity. So for us, what, what does that, you know, ultimately what does that mean for us? That means we've got to work harder to, to continue to grow organically because we don't have some of those same levers to pull that folks in the RA space do in order to scale up by the M&A avenue. So, and, and that's working for us and that's fine, um, and, but it has really been incredible to see the amount of M&A activity. And I think, I think the big thing is people are having a hard time across the space growing organically. And if that's the case, they feel the best avenue currently in this market is to acquire. Well, do you regret seven years ago not launching an RIA? You could have built it up and sold it and and been on the beach <laughs> by now. I know you love South Dakota and the snow, uh, it sounds yeah. like. I'm teasing, yeah. of course, a little bit here. Yeah. But do you regret that at all? You know, not going the RIA channel? I mean, you sound so fervent about what you do. No, I don't. I, you know, I'm a big everything happens for a reason guy. And I feel, you know, this bank uh, gave me an opportunity to lead a team of 40 people with a 99 year old business at the time at the age of, I was 34 years old and I had never managed a person in my life, not in <laughs> fast food, not in anything else. And they gave me the keys to this thing, um, this incredible opportunity. And I've been fortunate enough to be able to, to build upon that. And I feel great about that. So I feel like you know what? I was given an opportunity, and I'm where I'm supposed to be. And I understand that there maybe are more lucrative opportunities building up an RIA, um, things like that. But I, I feel like I got I got blessed with this opportunity, and I love where I'm at. Great. Uh, all set. I really appreciate the time, Adam. Really good stuff. Um, I'm going to keep listening to your podcast. So uh, keep up the good work. All right. Thank you, guys. Appreciate the opportunity. Thanks, Jeff. Launching every Monday, it's another episode of the Investment News Podcast. We want to thank our special guest, Adam Cox. We also want to thank our sponsor this week, Charles Schwab Asset Management, as well as our producer, Angelica Hester. You can find the podcast, of course, at investmentnews.com. 
You can also find it on Apple, Spotify, Google Play, and Stitcher. Leave us a review on Apple. Follow us on Spotify. Our Twitter handles are at Benji Ryder for Jeff and at BD News Guy for Bruce Kelly. That's me. Stay tuned. We'll be talking to you next week. <laughs>